So if you would please stand as we do the scripture reading. We, we stand and read um, God's word just out of respect for, for God. Um, our scripture reading this morning comes from 2 Timothy 2, 8 through 10. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they, may, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is God's word. It is true. It is given out of his love. You may be seated. Amen. Thanks, Elise. Um, real quick on that DC Leader Training and the Women of the Word book. That is the most poorly titled book I've ever read because it's good for both men and women. So it's not just for you ladies, it's for all, all everyone in our church. It's a book about how to study the Bible better in order to give the, the scripture the authority that it deserves in our life. We need to approach it with humility, understanding how to study it. And so it's a great resource for, for all of us in our church, whether you happen to be a woman or not. So um, yes, but hey, it is so good to be here with you all this morning. Um, I missed the last two weeks um, was my, with my brother in Germany as he was uh, recovering from a, a really a horrific uh, motorcycle accident. Um, I probably didn't think it was going to start this early. I'm terribly jet lagged right now, and so I'm probably going to be uh, very more emotional than I would be otherwise. But I um, was so blessed by all of you guys. Um, all the texts and prayers, the way meals for Kelly and the kids, um, the Aaron stepping in to preach last minute, um, just the, the way that David stepped up, uh, the way that all of you loved our family so well. Um, we are very blessed uh, to be a part of a church family like this. Um, so I, I'm uh, grateful to be on the recipient end of that love. And, and I just want you guys to know that I, I love you guys too. Like It's such a, a blessing to be a part of, of this church family. Um, and so uh, my brother, update, uh, Jordan is doing well. He's, he's home. Uh, he's recovering. And the ability to be with him for a number of days as he was uh, recovering from that accident was just a blessing beyond what I can say. And so I'm really grateful for that because that would not have happened uh, in, in a church that was less kind and less generous. So really grateful for, for just being a part of this church family. So... What we're going to do, though, this morning is we're going to try to study uh, the book of Acts. Um, like I said, I'm a little bit jet lagged, so this might be one of the more unique sermons that I've ever uh, given in our church. So if I, if I nod off up here, just assume it's the Holy Spirit working and we'll pray, <laughs> pray and go home from there. Um, but uh, the, the interesting thing about this passage is we're, it, we're, it's Acts chapter 27. We're going to go through all of 27 into the beginning of 28. On the, the table Bibles, it's page 936. If you don't have a Bible, yet, grab one on your table, turn to page 936, because it's a long story. It's, it's a well-told story. Luke really shows how good of a storyteller he is as he recounts the events of the shipwreck this morning. So it would be great to have uh, the actual Bible open in front of you as we go along. But in, in God's sovereignty, this was the passage I was supposed to preach two weeks ago. And so I was the morning uh, before I heard that my brother was in this accident that was, uh, we, we weren't sure he was going to make it or not. Uh, that morning I woke up and I felt like I had this like aha moment of, oh, this is what this passage is about. Like this passage is about how do you handle when, when life doesn't go as expected? When, when you think you have charted your course well and that you think you can actually probably do a better job of getting from point A to point B than what God seems to be orchestrating in your, in your life. Uh, and, and this word that I felt like this passage was about again two weeks ago was this idea that, that if, if God is the one who has determined where we're going, then we can trust him in how we get there. Uh, and then a, a few hours later, I um, heard the, the news that my brother was, we weren't sure he was going to make it or not. And just 
uh, I needed this passage these last two weeks. God really uh, worked the truth of this scripture into my heart. And, and the beautiful thing about God's word is that uh, it is true and it's given out of his love and his love extends to all of us. So, so we've all had a different uh, kind of uh, few weeks here, um, and, but I'm confident that God's word for, for what I needed to hear this week as I was uh, studying this passage is the same thing that we all need to hear every week when we gather. Okay, and, and what we need to hear, be reminded of is that God is sovereign. God, God is in charge. He is the Lord of the universe. He is the king of the universe. Nothing happens in our lives that is out outside of his loving control. Uh, And in God's sovereignty, he is also good. Okay, and and even though sometimes when things goes poorly in our lives and we we wish that we could script things a different direction than they actually end up going, God's sovereignty and his goodness are still evident in our lives. And and so as we study this passage, we're gonna see how how this journey that Paul is on did not go as he would have wanted, right? I mean, none of us would like to be uh, stranded on an island because of a shipwreck after two weeks in a storm, okay? That's a spoiler alert. That's what's happening in the passage as we get going. But in that pain and suffering that Paul experienced, he also experienced the goodness of God. And so these last couple of years, we, we, we've been talking about here at, recently at church a lot. Uh, none of us are really doing well, right? Again, like people, people try to say, I'm doing great. Like, how are you? I'm fine. Uh, and people that say they're fine are just really good at lying because uh, no one is doing well. Like we, we've all come through some many hard things. And if you really get down to someone's heart level in their soul and you say, how, how are things actually going? The, the truth is we have all suffered a ton. We, we have all gone through things that we wish we couldn't. And if we're honest with that vulnerability of what's going on in our hearts, what we need to see is that in that suffering and in that pain, that we are not detached or separated from God's good plan in our lives. Okay, last Christmas, we read that book, Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland together. And one of the lines that he says in there is that, that, that um, what is happening in your life right now is a sign of God's goodness and love for you. There is no such thing as a plan B in your life. God's love and his goodness is demonstrated in the things that go on in your life. And so what we're going to do this morning is see how how that goodness of God fits with the suffering and the pain that we have. When, When we think that we could orchestrate our lives better than what God is doing in our lives. It's a reminder that what this passage shows us, that God's, uh, God is actually the only one who is sovereign enough to hold all the threads of the universe together. So I'm going to say a word of prayer, uh, and then we're going to study God's word together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, this place. I thank you for this church. I thank you for uh, this scripture and the fact that you have called us all into this one place this morning so that we can study your word, so we can get a better picture of who you are, of your sovereign love in our lives, and we can learn that even when things don't go the way we would have planned, that we still know that you are good and that you are uh, loving and that your your loving kindness endures forever. And so it's the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Okay, so loveness is the word I just tried to say. So that's like, if you're keeping score, that's the first uh, sign of jet lag. Let's maybe see how high we can get going today with this. So um, let's, let's uh, context here as we get going. Uh, so um, when Aaron preached two weeks ago, he went through uh, the trial of Paul. And so Paul has been arrested. He's been in jail for two years. Uh, as the book of Acts wraps up, uh, he had, had these uh, uh, sham trials where these unjust judges uh, were not pursuing justice. They were just kind of using it as a, a play for their political power. And so because of that, Paul, as a citizen of Rome, appeals to Caesar. And what's one of the rights he had as a Roman citizen saying, I want to appeal my case before the emperor of Rome. And so because of that, uh, Paul is now going to be shipped off to Rome. And that's where we pick up in Acts chapter 27, beginning in verse 1. 
And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Adramitium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra and Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off of Snidus as the wind did not allow us to go farther. We sailed under the lee of Crete off of Salmone. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that we had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. And so the, uh, the story begins with Paul. He's on his journey to Rome. He has to have two different ships. This first is a little ship that kind of hugs the coast of the north, northern coast of uh, the Mediterranean. Sea, and it doesn't go all the way to Rome. So the centurion who's in charge, this guy named Julius, is a, a really kind Roman soldier. He's, he shows some respect and some honor for Paul as a political prisoner. He even allows him to go a, a, ashore at one of the stops and be treated by some other Christians to be cared for in that place. It's just a, another a sign of God's kindness that Julius is the one looking after him, not a, a cruel uh, centurion that, that there could have been. But after that first ship, they find a second ship. And this one's important. It is a wheat barge, we'll learn later. And these these ships, these wheat barges in the ancient world were huge. They're about twice the size of this gym. If you took this gym and duplicated it over on the other side, that's how big this ship was that Paul was going to be put on. And its purpose was to transport wheat from the uh, eastern side of the Mediterranean to the western side. But Paul points out that it's already after the fast. It's it's middle of October. And in, in the middle of October in the Mediterranean Sea, there's always these gigantic storms that made it very dangerous to travel at that time of year. And it's particularly dangerous for these wheat barges to travel because the, they would just fill the entire hull of the ship with wheat. And as, as a storm came on, the water could go over, over the size of the ship and the more wheat or the more water that the wheat absorbed, the heavier the ship would get. And it would a lot of times just sink because of the weight of all the moisture that it had taken on board. So Paul is just using some common sense here and says, hey guys, it's that time of year that we all know the storms are coming. We're not going to make it safe to Rome. We should stay here. But instead they're, they're trying to make it to Phoenix for the winter. It shows that, you know, American snowbirds and retirees aren't the first people to try to make it to Phoenix for the winter. <laughs> Probably a different Phoenix, I'm assuming. But um, they, um, they, because of their greed, okay, because the owner of the ship knows that no one can make this journey in the middle of winter, okay, we, with these storms, there will be no wheat in Rome. And so if I can make this journey with my barge full of wheat, I will be able to charge whatever I want for it. I will make a ton of money and his, his greed or his desire to see his uh, financial wealth increase is why he decides to ignore Paul's sound advice and instead head off for Rome in the middle of the Mediterranean in the middle of the stormy season. And so 
so what happens is the, the, they get this slight breeze. They think it's the sign that they're looking for that they're going to get to get some smooth sailing to Rome. And so they leave the island they're on and they take off. And, and in that picture of what we see the captain of the ship doing is a reminder for all of us of how we all tend to chart our lives. Right? We, we all think that we can set our course and that we can, if we just push ahead and keep sailing, that if we have the right plan, we will be able to accomplish the things that we want in our lives and it will all work out for our sake. It will all work out for our good if we just keep pushing on. Okay? And, and in that, there's this reminder from James chapter 4 where, where the Apostle James says, uh, who are you to say, I'm going to go here tomorrow and I'm going to sell this and make a profit? He says, it's, it's your pride and your arrogance that leads you to to boast and think that you know what the future holds. Okay, and so when you look at the, the storms of your life, the hardship in your life, the suffering that you experience, a lot of times what makes it feel unbearable is that it, the suffering you're experiencing is going against the plan that you had laid out for your life. Okay, that your plan was to go from Caesarea to Rome and you think you can plot a course that doesn't involve any suffering. Okay, your, your, your plan is to, to raise your kids and to do it in a good way, hoping that there won't be any suffering, that they, that they will be the kind of children that you want to be. Your, your plan is that you'll go off to college, you'll find the right job, you'll find the right spouse, and your, your plan will lay out in such a way that there won't be any suffering. But the truth is that we are not able to chart our course with that kind of efficiency. Right? There, there will always be storms that come up in our lives, no matter how we try to plot our course. Let's, let's see what happens next in verse 14. But soon a tempestuous wind called the north, and the ship was caught and could not face the wind. We gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then fearing that they would run aground in the Sirtis, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo, and on the third day they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of being saved was at last abandoned. And so, th- so this is um, a lot of uh, historians have pointed out that, that Luke's ability to describe with accuracy what a storm was like on, on the Mediterranean in these first century ships is, is so accurate it has to be an eyewitness. Only someone who was really there could describe these things. And what he points out is that the sailors or the ship captain, they, they go to these desperate measures trying to save their ships. They take five different steps. The first thing they do is they, they haul in the lifeboat hoping that that would create less drag in the storm. Uh, they, they undergird the ship. That's called frapping. Okay, and, and what they would do is on these wooden boats, they would throw ropes all the way around the ship, holding to, hoping to tighten it, to tie the, the ship planks together so that it wouldn't burst apart. Um, they, they also, they, they lowered the gear. That's the main sail. Uh, they, they jettisoned some of the cargo. They're trying to make the ship lighter so that as the wheat gets wet and heavy, it doesn't sink. And then they also throw the ship's tackle overboard. That's the way that they would steer. So they're saying the ship is getting wet and heavy. They're worried about sinking. So they throw everything over, even the things that allow them to steer the ship. They're, they're truly desperate to save their own lives. And at this point, they don't care what they lose as long as the ship doesn't sink. Okay, but what we're going to see as the story progresses is that all of their desperate measures amount to nothing. Okay, nothing that they did was actually able to, to save them. And we see that painful phrase at the end there that says, when finally all hope was abandoned, every hope that they had of being saved was finally left. Okay, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Okay, and, and that type of phrase demonstrates the depth of discouragement and despair 
that we all have experienced at the different seasons of storms in our lives, right? And, and each of the storms that we experience is completely unique to us and unique to our situations. No words that I can use can describe the storms that you've experienced. But we all, when we are in those seasons of storms, this phrase connects to our souls that all hope of being saved was at last abandoned. Okay, that, that's that depths of despair, the valley of discouragement that we find ourselves in. And so what happens a lot of times is in our lives, we begin with this idea of I'll plot the course, Lord. Okay, I, give me the steering wheel. I will decide where I'm going. And then when the storm starts to come, we change our prayer from I'll, t- I'll plot the course to um, help God. Like, please make the storm stop. Please, please make this pain cease. And then it ends with this season of despair where you, you start to question God and himself. And you start to ask, you know, why me, God? Why is this happening? What, what, have you abandoned me? My hope of being saved is abandoned. Does that mean that God himself has abandoned me as well? That's what I mentioned a little bit ago, this idea of we need to be honest in the, the experiences that we've had these last few years. And when we're not doing okay, it's okay to say you're not okay. Like when we are suffering, we need to invite each other into that to open up because it's in those seasons of pain and suffering that God is doing the deepest work in us. Uh, one of the things that my brother Jordan and I were able to talk about this last week was how in the months leading up to his motorcycle accident, he felt like he was going through a lot of suffering. And, and, and every time something happened, he would have this question of like, why me, God? Why, why is this happening? Why are you allowing this pain into my life? And then he said that when he uh, was hit by the car and was sliding across the pavement, the first thing that came to his mind was that same doubting question of why me, God? Why, this is going to hurt so bad. Why are you allowing this in my life? And, and I think that that, that that image of being like, pain is coming, it's unavoidable, I know I'm going to smack into that wall here soon, that, that that depth of despair, of feeling like all hope is lost, is something that we all will experience in our lives. But the thing that we have to do as Christians is to believe, especially in those moments where you're sliding across the pavement after being hit, you have to believe that God is at work in that suffering. Okay, there's this awesome quote from C.S. Lewis that we've used many times before here that says, pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And so we have to be clear with this, that, that suffering is not from God. Okay, God is good. He cannot give us anything but goodness in our lives. Suffering comes as a result of sin and the fallenness in the world. But God in his sovereignty and his goodness, he uses the suffering and the pain that we have to get our attention. The most important thing we can do when we are suffering, when the storm of our life is crashing over and it feels like the ship is going to sink, the most important thing we can do is listen. That's when God has our most attention is listen to what he's saying. Listen to what he's doing in your life, what he's trying to show you and teach you. And when you listen in the storm, you always hear God's voice. When God feels farthest from you, he's doing his deepest work in you. That's a quote Larry Crabb said one time. So, so when you listen in the storm, when God has your attention, what does God tell you in the midst of that pain? I think what he tells us a lot of times sounds a lot like this in verse 21. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me. I love the audacity of Paul there, right? He's like, guys, I freaking told you so, right? Like this is the greatest I told you so moment of my entire life. But listen to why he does it. He says, you should have listened to me and not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart. 
For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. So Paul is saying here is the reason he's saying I told you so is not because he's trying to rub it in their faces. He's trying to say, I, you need to listen to me. Okay, what I'm about to tell you is the most important thing you have ever heard in your entire life. And you need to see me as a person of credibility so that when I speak, you hear it not just as some other person giving some advice, but rather the person who has heard from God about what is going to take place. His credibility is why he says this, I told you so moment. And what he then tells them is that he had this visit from an angel. And all that the angel does is remind Paul of what Jesus had told Paul two years earlier when he was in prison. Remember, there's this, this uh, Jesus uh, showed up, physically appeared in the, the, um, the prison cell with Paul and said, take heart, take courage. You are going to testify about me before Rome. Okay, and so from that moment on, Jesus himself promising to Paul that Paul will arrive in Rome, that means that Paul's safety is completely assured. If Jesus promises something, there is no way that it won't come to pass. And so this angel is reminding Paul of what Jesus had already told him. And he is saying uh, that it's going to be okay for everyone else because God has also in his his mercy allowed everyone else on the ship to survive this storm. And so with that, what we see is Paul's faith is built and encouraged to this. And he says, I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. And I love that demonstration of faith from Paul. It will happen exactly as I've been told. Not, not kind of, not most likely, not I'm really hoping so, but it will happen exactly as we have been told. So, so when you go to the scriptures and you see those promises that Jesus gives us, we can hold to those promises with faith, the same kind of faith that Paul has here. It will happen exactly as we've been told. Jesus hasn't said, hey, I will most likely be with you and I'm probably not going to forsake you. He says, I will be with you and I will never forsake you. And if Jesus has told us that, we can have faith that it will happen exactly as Jesus has told us. And so what the takeaway from this is here is that in these storms, the reason God allows storms into our life, the reason God brings us to these moments of suffering and pain is so that he can get our attention and so that he can strengthen our faith. Okay, Paul's faith, because of going through this storm, is stronger than it would have been had he not gone through the storm. So, so bringing my brother's story back into it, as he's sliding across the pavement saying, why me, God? The thing that came into his mind instantly was what God had been showing him the previous two months as he'd been suffering, was, was uh, even in the suffering, God's goodness endures forever. So as he, he hits, he still doesn't even remember what it is he hit, but it broke, he broke 12 ribs. 10 of those ribs were broken in two places. His lung was punctured. He's gasping for breath. He's, he's not sure why he can't breathe. He's coughing up blood. And the phrase that comes to his mind as he's laying on the pavement is, but God's goodness endures forever. And, and that kind of faith that says, I've just experienced the most physical pain I've ever experienced in my life, but God has already shown me that he is good. And I can, with faith, cling to God's promises that his goodness endures forever. That's the kind of faith that I think we all want, right? Like none of us set out as a life goal to say, hey, I want to be the person that folds under pressure. Like I I hope as soon as my life isn't comfortable that I cave, abandon everything I believe and just go run to comfort somewhere else, right? We all want to have that kind of endurance that says, 
When we encounter the hardest and most difficult things in our lives, we want to be the most firm and resolute on Jesus, the rock of our salvation that we've ever been. But you don't get to the hardest moment of your life and stand strong in faith if you have not stewarded all the suffering up until that moment well. A few weeks ago, we had been, as a church for months, we've been praying for one of our friends in Fort Collins whose son uh, passed away from cancer. And, and through their son's death, the most horrific thing that any parent could ever imagine, their testimony and their witness of how God has sustained them is incredible. Okay, like I cannot imagine going through the amount of pain that our friends went through losing their son and having the ability to stand uh, and, and do, uh, my, he officiated his own son's funeral, talking about how good God was. Okay, you don't get that kind of strength to do that Unless when the suffering prior to that comes into your life, unless you steward that well and say, God is good and his goodness endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. That's the kind of resilient people we want to be. And the only way we'll be that in the moment of the storm is if we steward the pain that we have before that well. Uh, Paul says in uh, Romans 5, he says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces endurance. Okay, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us. Hope doesn't let us down. Hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Okay, in those moments of suffering, when we, when, we, when we wonder why this is happening, those are the moments that God sows his strength and his spirit into us, his faith into us more than, than the times when life is comfortable. I, I, I wish there was a way as Christians, that we could say, yes, I grew through comfort. But no one has ever said those words, right? We only grow through pain. And the reason that is, is because the pervasiveness of sin, right? The fall, depravity, sin, and the way the brokenness enters the world, the only way that that, that, that cancer can get exercised from us or worked out is in the pain and suffering of turning to Jesus and seeing him work in the midst of our pain. Let's keep going, verse 27. When the 14th night had come, As we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little farther on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. You guys heard that expression? There's no atheists in foxholes, right? Even these sailors, when they think they're going to die, they're praying for day to come. Suffering uh, reveals uh, our need for God in a way that other things can't. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under the pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. So what we see here is that it's day, day 14, right? The storm has continued. Uh, and I think the length of this storm is something that God is also using, right? Because don't you think by day three, they were like, okay, God, I'm pretty sure I got it now. Like I've learned the lesson that you're trying to teach us. Um, this, I've, this last year has been very difficult for our family in a lot of ways. And I think the lessons that God is showing me today are the same lessons he was showing me last December. But I have an ability to hear what God is saying today in those lessons that I did not have last December. So even though they probably knew God was trying to get their attention on day three, there's something about it taking until day 14 for our, our guard to be let down, for our ears to be tuned to what God is doing in us. And then I, I love how it says um, that the, the soldiers are trying to, uh, um, that these sailors are trying to escape. And Paul says, hey, unless they stay with the ship, you can't be saved. 
And this is a, a really important verse when we talk about God's sovereignty, right? Because God is king of the universe. He's in charge of everything. He's already promised that everyone's going to be okay. But then Paul says, unless you stay with the ship, you're not going to be safe. So, so what is it? Is God guaranteed everyone's going to make it? Or do they have to stay with the ship in order to make it? And, and what we see is this, this idea is called compatibilism. That, that God is sovereign and human choices actually matter. Okay, it's like Genesis fifty twenty, where 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 um, Joseph tells his brothers, "What you meant for evil, God had meant for good." So, so in God's sovereignty over this storm, already promising that everyone is going to make it, these people still have the responsibility to be obedient. Their choices still matter. And that mysterious inner working of, of those things is how we see God's uh, 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 gracious sovereignty work out here. We, 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 just because we trust God with how we're getting to the final destination, our decisions along the way still matter. And we see that here. Verse 32. Uh, then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. And as day was about to dawn, Paul urged them to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in some suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some of the food themselves. So um, I love this part here is that the idea that um, our physical bodies matter. When we're talking about pain and suffering, it's, it's interesting how many times what's going on in our physical bodies impacts how we view the spiritual realities around us, right? Like, like when, when, um, when you're hungry, your ability to have faith that God is going to save you is, is different. And so Paul's saying, take some food, strengthen your physical body so that your soul will also see what it is that God is doing around you. There, there's a story that uh, John Stott was a, a, a famous pastor and theologian. He said whenever someone would come to him with doubts about Christianity, his first advice was always for them to go take a nap. He said it's a, a lot of times when you're tired, the doubts come, seem to come more strongly. I and mean, what he's doing is reminding us that, again, God made us as embodied souls. Okay, it, when we are hungry, it's much harder to be faithful to God. Right? When we are sleep-deprived or hypothetically jet-lagged and struggling with finding words sometimes, uh, it, it's easier for us to fall into temptation and to doubt God's goodness. And so taking care of our physical bodies is one of the things that we're called to do. As, let's keep going, verse 37. And we were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship by throwing out the wheat into the sea. So, so the, the, the greed, the thing that was keeping them from uh, staying in the harbor that they should have, they finally just threw it overboard. Okay, they, they lost their idol anyway. And it's a reminder that you can't cling to Jesus in faith and cling to greed or any other struggle or idol that you have in place of Jesus. So uh, let's keep on. Verse 39. And now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea. And at the same time, loosening the ropes that tied the rudders and hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow, the front of the ship, stuck and remained immovable, and the stern, or the back of the ship, was being broken up by the surf. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. Okay. They all survived exactly as God had said. And so um, the, the, one of the, the things here is like this, the soldiers or the guards are wanting to execute all the prisoners. And the reason for that is as a Roman 
guard of prisoners. If any of your prisoners escaped, your life was forfeit. You would face the death penalty instead of them. And that's the way that the emperor tried to keep, um, or Caesar tried to keep his soldiers from allowing prisoners to escape. But it just so happened that this centurion who was in charge was a kind centurion. And he cared about Paul. He didn't want to see them execute Paul. So he saved Paul's life. And I love in that little tiny detail that a little bit earlier, we're like, oh, this is a nice little thing. Paul gets a kind centurion and he can go ashore and visit some friends. But really that's part of God's sovereign plan of putting this exact leader, Julius, in place to save Paul's life when the soldiers wanted to kill him. And I think those little details of how God has worked his sovereign plan provide a lot of big assurances in our hearts. When we see those small coincidences of God's sovereignty, it's a reminder that he is, in fact, Lord of the universe. So let's, let's bring this passage to a close, verses 1 through 10 of uh, chapter 28. And after we were brought safely through, we learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed uh, us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. If it's not one thing, then it's another, right? There's always something coming after Paul. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or to suddenly fall... Um. fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who, re- who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when he had ta- this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to set sail, they put on board whatever it is that we needed. So, so what happens is it's like this amazing story of a shipwreck takes place, and then we get this little tiny caveat of Paul and this uh, snake bite incident. And it's kind of a weird pairing, but I think what's happening here is in the snake bite, Paul or, or God is showing us an example of how he uses the big event of the storm. Because the two things are identical, right? Like Paul is saying in his heart, I'm imagining, Lord, it sure would have been nice if I could have just gone from Caesarea to Rome without getting shipwrecked. And at the same time, he's probably saying, Lord, it sure would have been nice if I could just sit and warm myself by the fire and not get bitten by the snake. Okay, but it's only because God miraculously keeps Paul safe during the snake bite that it opens this door for him to love the people of this island, to talk about Jesus, to, to heal the leader of this island. Through, through that event, God shows the people of Malta that Paul is not an ordinary man carrying an ordinary message, but he is a servant of the God of the universe, and he brings with him the gospel or the good news of salvation. And so while Luke doesn't explicitly say that a revival broke out on this island, we have no doubt from what we've seen about Paul in all these previous chapters, he used that as an opportunity to preach the gospel. Okay? And, and, and that opportunity would not have happened if he hadn't been bit by the snake But more importantly, that opportunity would not have happened if he hadn't shipwrecked on that island in the first place. So when we go back to how we started this morning of saying when suffering hits, our first instinct is to say, why God? 
Why is this happening? Surely if I charted the course of my life, I could find a path through the seas that didn't involve me getting a shipwreck. And we always question what God is doing. But what we see in this, this story of this healing is that God loves Publius and his father and the people on this island too much to not have Paul get shipwrecked there so he can talk about Jesus. And that's what happens in our suffering is our suffering gives us this platform or this opportunity to preach the good news of Jesus in our lives, okay, with our lives and how we handle this suffering. One, one last story about my brother. As he's laying there on the pavement, gasping for breath in all that pain, the guy who hit him is the first one to respond. And he's, he's, he's talking to him in German as my brother can't breathe and is coughing up blood. And the first thing that my brother says to him is, do you know Jesus? And I think like that's, that's so like him, first of all, if you know Jordan. But the secondly, that, that, that ability to say, like, I'm going to use my pain as an opportunity to talk about the only thing that matters. Right? I think a lot of us would be like, I'm going to get Frank Azar's number and we're going to make some money here because this guy should not have hit me like he did. But that idea of saying, the, what in that moment is the most important thing that you can talk about? It's whether or not this guy who caused so much pain in your life knows that Jesus is the king of the universe and that salvation is found in no other name but his. Okay, and, and that's the kind of stewarding of our pain that I think Paul is trying to, or Luke and God are trying to show us through this passage is that, that we can trust God with the course of our lives. Even though that path is going to include many bumps and along the way and many different kinds of suffering, ultimately God alone is the one who is sovereign and wise enough to hold every single one of our stories together so that Jesus gets the glory and we get to experience his love. We've all heard that adage of like the butterfly effect, right? Like something about like if a butterfly in Brazil flaps its wings, that ends up becoming a hurricane in the Gulf, something like that. And what the idea is saying is that every decision, every, for every cause, there is so many different effects that come about that, that we can never understand. And ultimately what we have to do when we experience pain in our lives is say, um, God knows that the people of Malta need to hear the gospel, and that's why he allows Paul to be shipwrecked. God knows that this German guy who hit my brother needs to hear about Jesus, and that's why he allows the accident to take place. All of those things, many of the pains in our life, we won't ever get to see how those tie together. But when you have the examples before you of how God uses suffering to bring glory to himself and to show his love to his people, that's the thing that builds the faith that says, yes, God is worthy of being trusted even in the midst of the storms. So with that, one last, one last verse that I want to read. It comes from Galatians 2.20. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So what Paul's doing here is saying, uh, my life is not what counts. What counts in my life is whether I'm living for Jesus or not. But what's implied in this so beautifully is that we are not the first to be crucified. We are only following in the steps of a suffering Savior who, was love, who loved us enough to go to the cross to die in our place so that we could experience his love. How much do we know? How do we know how much Jesus loves us? He loved us enough to give up himself for us. And if that's the Jesus who is leading us into the storm, then I'm sure that he is trustworthy, that he's going to work good out of the suffering in our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this uh, passage and for the fact that um, whether or not we are experiencing storms in our lives right now, uh, we know that when they come, we can have faith because you are sovereign over all things. 
And so rather than running to doubt or to questioning you or to uh, giving up, I pray that you would allow the pain that we experience to strengthen our faith as you show us your goodness, even in the midst of pain. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, um, if, if it's your first time here, the reason we sit around tables is so that we can uh, discuss uh, what God has shown us through the passage uh, we've just studied. And so uh, on the screen behind me, there's three different questions, and those are just kind of a way to, to prime the pump. Um, so re- read over those and figure out which one stands out to you, and then we can engage this discussion as a, a church family for about 10 minutes, and then we'll end with a time of uh, communion and worship. Thanks. So uh, thank you, Colbert. Uh, I never thought that I wouldn't be encouraged by hearing about pain and suffering, but it was encouraging. And um, yeah, so tomorrow is October 31st. It's Reformation Day. It's the uh, anniversary of uh, the day that Martin Luther penned his 95 Theses on the door of the church in Wittenberg. So I figured I'd come up with a Martin Luther quote. But uh, he said, God can only be found in suffering and the cross. And so we, we want to look to the cross, right? Uh, as author of Hebrews said, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father, at the right hand of God. So uh, that's what we do. We want to fix our eyes on Jesus. And as Gobert said, think of God and his love endures forever. So as we, uh, as we prepare for communion, uh, we can also respond in other ways. We can respond by giving. Uh, there's a box over there. There's a website. There's the church app. We can respond in prayer. Uh, Jessica and I will be in the corner if you need prayer. You can pray at the table. You can pray with each other. You can pray for each other. But uh, we all need it. And um, and they're singing. And we're going to sing, and uh, and we're going to praise God and worship Him. But uh, as we do our communion, the elements are at the tables. Uh, uh, and communion is for those who have placed their faith in Christ. We uh, do open communion. Anybody that believes in Christ can come to the table. And if you do not, um, it's never too late. Well, at least right now, it's not too late. You can. Uh, come to come to Jesus so so let me pray yeah Lord um, Lord thank you we do take this time to remember you and what you have done for us Lord we thank you for your salvation we thank you for your love and the hope in you that endures forever Lord and uh, so as we take uh, these elements just help us to remember you in Jesus name Amen <clears throat>